Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're here with the Giants overview episode. I'm talking about a bunch of different topics here in this episode, including where the Giants are in regards to the salary cap, how much money they have to spend, what's realistic this offseason. We'll get into the defensive coordinator candidates, who's out there, who's on the list, who interviewed, who potentially lurks and lingers. I even created, uh, through the Book of Ron on, my own odds on who I think is going to be the Giants' next defensive coordinator to replace Wink Martindale. That'll be its own segment. Part of that discussion, we'll get to it later, I mean, a lot of people keep asking, oh, Bill Belichick, is he going to, why, why not Bill Belichick? Maybe he just, he loves the Giants, he wants to come back, or he'll be back next year if things go poorly. I'll go over this a little bit later. A little tidbit I have that I picked up over the years, and it's not just one little crumb, it's like a handful of crumbs, on why Bill Belichick returning to the Giants is grossly unrealistic. Now, maybe he gets desperate. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Also, we'll touch on the coordinator situations in regards to special teams. Giants made a hire, replaced Thomas McGahee, uh, hired Michael Gobriel from the Jets. And what's going to happen with Mike Kafka and the Giants' offensive coordinator spot if he does leave? We'll get to that in a few minutes. Let's start with the salary cap of the New York Giants right now because that's going to depend, right? That dictates what they're capable and willing and able to do this offseason. So the Giants have $20.8 million. That's our estimate from our roster management system that we use at ESPN of how much money they're going to have available. So approximately $21 million. 17th most in the NFL. So really, they're middle of the pack. Give or take, it could depend on where the salary cap actually comes in. But the estimate right now is around $21 million and they'll be around 17th. Now they'll be able to create more money. The obvious move is Mark Lewinsky. That'll get them $5.7 million. So close to $6 million for Mark Lewinsky. You know, a guy like Boogie Basham, another $1.5 million, basically. So they could create easily another... That that The two of them right there is what? Uh, $7.5 million. So let's say they could create about 9 to $10 million total. So Giants will be around $30 million to spend. It's decent. It's not great if they decide to use the franchise tag on Saquon. That then uses up $12.1 million. So now, you know, they're sitting there at $18 million under the cap. Got to sign some rookies, all this other stuff. Granted, you have to cut players too. It's enough money to make moves. It's not enough money to go crazy shopping, though. The Giants aren't going to go out there. And I don't think this is Joe Shane's goal it never has been I don't think it ever will be to go out there and shop at the top of the free agent market at least with the team in the shape that it is right now and get like two of the top free agents out there let's say Brian Burns the edge rusher from the Carolina Panthers and T Higgins the wide receiver from the Cincinnati Bengals right and go out and get both of them in the same offseason now first of all I have a hard time I know people are like T Higgins is going to be a free agent I have a hard time seeing the Cincinnati Bengals, who are trying to win a Super Bowl this year, next, you know, the 2024 season, just allowing T. Higgins to walk. I see them probably franchise tagging him. So, yes, that would be a great target for the Giants. Love T. Higgins. But you might have to shop at the Gabe Davis range. Obviously, Joe Shane has a connection to Gabe Davis. It's a name that I'm going to watch closely. He's talked about him favorably in the past, just on how they found him in the middle rounds, and they thought that he was a really good player. Is he a true number one? Eh. Like, I have more hope that T. Higgins 
can be a true number one than I do Gabe Davis. But anyway, you get the point. They may get one big free agent, but don't expect them to go out there and make a splash and start signing three or four guys. Like, I think what they did last year is pretty much the blueprint of what Joe Shane believes in. Spent a lot of money on Bobby Okereke, filled in a bunch of holes around him, right? Traded for Darren Waller, filled in a bunch of holes around him, the Ashawn Robinsons of the world. So again, I think that is a likely road or scenario that or blueprint that this organization is going to follow. Now, they can always restructure some deals, move money around. Andrew Thomas's deal, Dexter Lawrence's deal, those come to mind. But that's going to be just to operate. That's not going to be to go make gigantic big moves. So let's start there for the Giants. Now, in regard to the special teams coordinator opening, the Giants made a hire. Hired a special teams coach and Michael Gobrial, who has never been a special teams coach in the NFL. Not that I'm against it. He's been a special teams coach in college before, most recently at Washington State and Hawaii. I believe three total years in those two spots. Came to the Jets, or he's been with the Jets now for three years. Worked under Brent Boyer. Now, Brent Boyer has a very good reputation as a special teams coach. So I think there's optimism with the Michael Gobriel hiring. With the special teams coordinator spot, I don't think it was a mandatory, we need a coach with experience. I think it's a lot more important for the Giants, especially now that they got Michael Gobriel as their special teams coordinator, with Brian Dable, who's an offensive guy, who was more hands-on as the season went along on the offensive side, that they get a defensive coordinator now that has experience. That's why we made a ton of sense for Brian Dable. Now, ultimately, it was like pouring oil and water together, and it didn't work. The personalities, you know, two very... Uh, one is high-strung, one is composed, but two, let's be fair, big egos together proved to be combustible and didn't work. But to bring in a first-time defensive coordinator, big risk. Bring in a first-time special teams coach, in addition to that, that's a huge risk. Two or three, first of all, two new coordinators, possibly a third. Talk about my Kafka in a second. Two new coordinators who have never called plays on their side on a team that needs to win with some pressure on, with the pressure on Brian Dable, that's risky. Not saying it won't work, but it's risky. Now, the Giants did in 2007 bring in Steve Spagnola, who I don't believe had called plays. He was a pupil of Jim Johnson of the Philadelphia Eagles at the time, and he was a longtime assistant with Jim Johnson, and they're all Andy Reid disciples, right? Steve Spagnola, and he thrived as defensive coordinator. But remember, there was growing pains in that 2007 season to the point where Strahan and a bunch of the guys had to go in and say, hey, we need to make this, dumb this down. We need to make it easier, right? And that's been a thing that Spagnola has run into a couple times in his career, but that's a risk that comes with the first-time coordinator. You're trying to do so much. You're so much in that brain that things can get complicated and you don't really know how much each group can digest and take in and go out there and run successfully. So that is something to keep an eye on here with the Giants here and Brian Dable and his hiring. And people, I know some people are like, oh, he hired this guy. His process for this guy is terrible. I actually think I'm a proponent 
of Brian Dable's hiring philosophy of keeping an open mind and not necessarily just hiring guys you've worked with and your friends. Now, I know it could backfire, and it did with Wink, but at the same time, I do think it is probably most beneficial to the organization and for you. And it's your job, to really, to judge character and f- figure out who you could work with. But being open-minded to everybody, I think is a good thing. Now, you have to be smart about who you pick and realize, hey, we might be too much alike. We're going to butt heads. That would be a bad thing, right? That's what happened with Wink and Dable. Two big egos, bumped heads, a lot, blew up in their face. Sitting here now, year three, trying to rebuild on the fly. Going to be a lot of pressure. Going to be a lot of pressure. And will Mike Kafka be there as the offensive coordinator? I told you last week, I kept hearing, you know, he's going to be gone. He wants out. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised even the least bit if Mike Kafka, if he doesn't get the Seahawks job, ends up leaving in a lateral move. Are the Giants really going to deny him if he wants to do that? Is that a good thing for Brian Dable to keep him around if he doesn't really want to be there? Now, Mike Kafka, from what I hear, has a legit shot to get the Seattle Seahawks job, right? Now, Mike Kafka, if you get to know him, isn't this big ball of energy. He's not this guy who stands at the podium and lights it up and says interesting things. He's actually the most boring coach I've ever heard at the podium. Like, he watching paint dry is an option I might take over listening to Mike Kafka talk at a press conference. This is a guy whose own mom, at one point in a story, and I may be paraphrasing it a bit, called him boring. But he's intelligent. He's forward-thinking. He has a history of quarterback development. These are things that teams like. So these are things that the Seattle Seahawks, I could see being impressed with with Mike Kafka and saying, you know what? This is a guy we kind of want to build our team around. And wouldn't it be ironic if Mike Kafka brought in Wink Martindale? Because he would need a veteran defensive coordinator, first-time coach, offensive coach. We need a veteran defensive coordinator. Imagine that. Mike Kafka goes and brings in Wink Martindale, and they're in Seattle. Giants, by the way, play in Seattle next year. So that would be interesting. Very interesting. Let's get to more on the defensive coordinator opening. On to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Ladies and gentlemen, the doors are open to the Bookeron on right now. This is where I'm going to set the odds 
for the New York Giants' next defensive coordinator. First, let's go over the candidates at the top of the list here, and this is in no order at the po- at the moment, is Jerome Henderson, the in-house candidate. He provides the opportunity for the easiest transition, right? Because he was there now over multiple regimes, but the last two years under Wink Martindale, he could, the players know him, especially some of the key players. He was a pass game coordinator previously in Atlanta. He was actually hired by when Joe Judge came here. So he definitely played a big part in putting together the game plan in Atlanta. Doesn't necessarily have play calling experience in the NFL, but he's been around a long time. He's an experienced veteran coach. Uh, you've seen development of young players under him. Cordell Flott has grown in recent years. Uh, you've seen uh, Deontay Banks had a pretty good rookie year. Even veterans like James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson probably had their best seasons under Jerome Henderson. So there's a lot to like here about Jerome Henderson. I think he provides the easiest transition for everybody. You know, they could keep some of the same terminology, some of the same schemes, plays. We don't necessarily know what kind of defense he's going to run overall, but this is the advantage that Jerome Henderson seems to have in this defensive coordinator search. Now here perhaps is one of my favorites. Denard Wilson comes from the Baltimore Ravens. So he's doing a great job with the Ravens secondary this year. He was with the Eagles before that. And remember the Eagles secondary was really good last year. They kind of fell apart this year, completely fell apart since he left. He's been a variety of roles. Also, I believe has been a pass game coordinator. Hasn't necessarily called plays as a defensive coordinator, but the fact that the Giants are waiting right now and Denard Wilson is with the Ravens and you can't really hire him or talk to him right now, scratch your head a little bit. And maybe that's why he's near the top of the list. You'll see just how high in a second. Bobby Babich, uh, he is the son of a former coach who worked in Buffalo as well. Bobby Babich comes from Buffalo, so he's experienced working with Brian Dable and Joe Shane. Young guy. Most of these guys, by the way, are in their four, around 40 years old, except for Jerome Henderson, who's in his, I believe, mid-50s. They're, most of these guys are young up-and-comers, haven't really called plays, uh, but at least extensively, except for one candidate. And Bobby Babich was the secondary coach in Buffalo, and Joe Shane and Brian Dable were there. Remember, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were two of their best players, had their Best seasons in Buffalo and really grew into stud players. Bobby Babich was their coach at that time. Matt Milano now as a as he moved into linebackers coach this past year had one of his was having one of his best seasons under him as well. So he has that familiarity with Dable and Shane. That's his advantage. Next is Anthony Campanile, a good old Jersey guy. I believe I saw he was born in Fairlawn, worked at Rutgers, Don Bosco. He's the linebackers coach in Miami. Now the thing with Anthony Campanile. So remember, Vic Fangio just left Miami. You hear about Anthony Campanile and, and the people down there, there's a lot of people down there who think that that's who ultimately Mike McDaniels is going to hire as defensive coordinator because he, Mike McDaniels apparently butted heads with Vic Fangio a little bit. So he wants more input, and Vic Fangio was really rigid about making changes to the defense. So it makes you wonder, like, is a guy like Wink Martindale, who has a ton of experience down there, is that the perfect coach for Mike McDaniels? Not so sure, because Wink likes to do what he does, right? That was part of why it fell apart here. So we'll see if the Dolphins go with a veteran coach or hire from within, which in, seems like would be Campanile if they decide for the latter. 
Shane Bowen. Now, here's the guy with the most play-calling experience that we know of. That we know of. Get to that in a minute. Titans. Called plays with the Titans the last couple of years. Worked under Vrabel. Has defensive coordinator experience, extensive experience. Uh, a lot of complaints there about playing off coverage too much, giving too many easy throws, not being super aggressive. Bowen's background is in, and he's done a pretty good job with working with edge rushers. Look at Harold Landry there. Uh, there's a bunch of other edge rushers there that have excelled under him. So that is kind of intriguing. Hey, what can he get out of Kayvon Thibodeau? Can he turn into that player that the Giants want him to be, that some people want him to be, right? Because right now he's a good player. Not a great player. People want to blame it on uh, he's in coverage too much. He had plenty of pass rush snaps. So maybe Shane Bowen's that guy. And finally, Derek Ansley. He was the interim defensive coordinator for the Chargers most recently. Actually, was a defensive coordinator, I believe, tempera for a little bit with the Tennessee Titans as well. That was before Shane Bowen. So those are the candidates that are out there. Now, how do we rank them? Okay. I'm going to put Wilson at the top. I put him at plus 300. Jerome Henderson, second at plus 500. Uh, The field, I'm going to put third at plus 550. Bobby Babich, Anthony Campanile, Shane Bowen at plus 650. And Derek Ansley at plus 1,000. Now, let's start at the top. Why do I think Denard Wilson is probably the favorite? Well, the Giants have not made a hire. They're eligible to make a hire anytime they want. But at the very least, as we sit here and wait, and championship weekend is going on on Sunday, the only one of these guys that's still, whose team is still playing is Denard Wilson. So it makes me think the Giants are waiting to, at the very least, either bring him in for a second interview or potentially make him their next defensive coordinator. That's why I have him as the favorite. Plus, his background is impressive. Darius Slay even went as far to basically say after the Eagles season ended, that they made a mistake not making Denard Wilson their defensive coordinator last year. Obviously, they made Sean Desai the defensive coordinator, had to bring in Matt Patricia eventually to call plays. Total disaster. Team was a mess. Denard Wilson, though, has gotten rave reviews from those guys. He's gotten rave reviews in Baltimore. Everyone I've talked to, coaches, scouts, they think pretty highly of this guy. He's been in a lot of different roles. He's played Denard Wilson... 40, 41 years old, right around there, low 40s, a good candidate. And the timing of everything is why I have him as the favorite. Jerome Henderson I have as the second favorite because of what I mentioned before, the familiarity with Dayball and everything there. Now the field is who I have third here, right? And why do I have the field? Say, oh, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel? No, no, no. I have the field here because remember, Leslie Frazier was up for a couple head coaching jobs. He was the defensive coordinator in Buffalo. So to me, yes, there's all kinds of outside candidates, potential head coaches who don't get head coaching jobs that are options. With to me, Leslie Frazier being near the top of that list, he's still close with Brian Dable and Joe Shane to the point where he visited them in the spring to just talk football and go over some stuff. And a lot of guys do that when they're taking the year out because Leslie Frazier's goal was to be a head coach. Now, it didn't happen for him. So what's best? You think staying out a second year is best for him? Or coming, being a defensive coordinator, having success, and saying, hey, look at the success I'm having again with different guys for a head coaching job. So to me, that's why the field is third. And then the next group is sort of that Babbitt, Campanile, Shane Bowen. I feel like with Shane Bowen, 
I have him pretty low because if the Giants wanted to hire them, I feel like hire him. I feel like they already would have done it. Like he has the experience. That's his edge over everybody in this competition so far, right? But why wouldn't they just hire him at this point? You know, at least you should. They should have a feel, at least from behind the scenes talks about Leslie Frazier and some of these other guys. So that's why I kind of have him alone. Derek Ansley, I have him at the bottom. Not really sure why. I just don't get any vibes or anything that sort of stands out about him. He also has a, a very extensive defensive backfield uh, resume, sort of along the lines of Denard Wilson. But that's my odds. The Book of Ranan, the Book of Jordan, whatever we want to call it. That's how I set him. Denard Wilson plus 300, Jerome Henderson plus 500, The Field, the third favorite at plus 550, Bobby Babich, Anthony Campanile, Shane Bowen coming next at plus 650, and Derek Ansley, the long shot at plus 1,000. On to the next one. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's finish up here with a little quick Jordan on the beat. This is where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants work for ESPN or cover the NFL in general. And I've been doing this now for a little while, covering the Giants, right? Since 2013. So more than a decade, more than the past decade, I've been covering this Giants team. Bunch of coaching changes, a lot of interviews, a lot of people in and out. And a lot of people have come and gone and been part of the interview process that have come from New England, right? You're talking about Matt Patricia, was, uh, was high on the Giants list several years back when they hired Pat Shermer. They hired Joe Judge. Brian Dable spent the majority of his career in New England. Uh, Josh McDaniels was the guy that they were interested in at times. So there's been a lot of things that I've heard over the years. And sometimes you put things in your back pocket and you put them away. Sometimes you wait to you get confirmation. And then sometimes you, you keep hearing it over and over. Now, I've heard this multiple times over the past, you know, five, six, seven years. And it's a dirty little secret maybe about Bill Belichick and the Giants. Because everybody thinks and they look back and they see, remember Bill Belichick and the clip of him tearing up, going back into the Giants locker room with Bill Parcells. And yes, he has a great affinity and memories with the Giants organization. But then the natural inclination is to think Bill Belichick loves the Giants organization. He thinks they're this great organization and that still exists. And yes, as a whole, memory-wise, I think that's true. Current construction, though, I don't think he looks at the Giants the same way he used to look at the Giants when he was here. Remember, he was a Wellington Mara guy, right? He loved Wellington Mara. That was the Giants that Bill Belichick grew up under. Not his son, John Mara. Not this setup with ownership being involved in the front office, right? Tim McDonald is John Mara's nephew, and he's high on the personnel list. There's no way around that. So over the years, Bill Belichick has given advice to people like, that he didn't really like the setup of the Giants organization. Like, he didn't think the Giants was this great organization. And look what's happened over the years. Scott, how do you look at the Giants over the last 8, 10 years and think this is a great, well-run organization? You don't. It's only natural. So Bill Belichick, like everybody else, watching from the outside, watching the way it's set up, doesn't think, at least this is what I've heard, is this 
great organization in its current iteration. Doesn't mean Bill Belichick doesn't love the Giants and appreciate everything they've done for him and have great memories. But it does make it a lot less likely that Bill Belichick would want to come to the Giants at this point of his career, especially people are suggesting as a potential defensive coordinator. Come on, man. I have a really, really hard time seeing that. I have a hard time seeing him come as a head coach. Now, granted, if he gets desperate and has no other options, maybe he decides this is my only option. It would be great to do it. But I bet if he did, he would be very careful and want some things changed in the way that the organization is run because he's directly told that to people. Be careful about the organization and their setup and the way it's run. Like, that's happened. That's been relayed to me over the years on multiple occasions. So, yes, Bill Belichick loves the Giants, the New York football Giants, the organization, the memories he has from the past. It doesn't mean he's bat-ass crazy in love with the Giants organization right now. And also, how does the Giants organization feel about Bill Belichick? Remember, Bill Belichick's the one who sent the text to the wrong Brian when they were hiring Brian Dayball, sending it to Brian Flores, got the Giants in a bunch of trouble, a bunch of things came out as the investigation into that happened. That relationship might not be as great as some people think. That's my point here. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, like, subscribe, tell your friends, review this podcast here. Uh, it's available on all podcast platforms. Give it a review. Positive reviews are always better, but I'm always open to all kinds of feedback. You can always reach me. Uh, ask questions for a Giants after dark in the future. As always, uh, X, it's on, it's on Twitter anymore, X, Instagram, Facebook, email, TikTok, you know where to find me. I'm Jordan Ronald, you're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.